up next on Walking by Faith. So God put something down on the inside. That thing that Adam lost in the garden, God puts back inside you. He puts that nature, his seed, in you. Thus, eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to the temporal conditions of earthly life. It's saying eternal life does not begin when you die. It starts instantly when God puts his life, his seed, his nature, his zoe down on the inside of you. I want to thank you for being with us today on Walking by Faith. And I am excited about the message. We're talking about who you are in Christ. It is one of the most powerful subjects in the entire Bible. And of course, the Bible tells us in the book of Philemon that we needed to acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ. That as we do, that it will energize our faith or our faith will become powerful. It'll become effectual. It will produce results. And so many of us don't realize who we are in Christ, what belongs to us in Christ. So today, this message is on the subject of who you are in Christ. And I believe that God's going to use this to give you a new understanding of what belongs to you. Would you come with me right now as we begin this message? But today, we're talking about who you are and what belongs to you in Christ. Philemon, verse 6 that the communication of your faith may become effectual or powerful or produce results. How? By the communication or the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. So you've got to acknowledge every good thing. And as, as we've mentioned, most Christians do not know five things that are in them in Christ. They don't know five ways that Christianity has affected their life, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has affected them. They could not tell you, I'm going to go to heaven. I think I'm forgiven. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's some other stuff somewhere, you know, in the book of Hezekiah somewhere. But they literally do not know. But there are over 130 verses that talk about who you are in Christ, in him, in whom, in the beloved. And they tell you what belongs to you, what Jesus did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus did not go to the cross, die, be buried, and, and rise, and then go to his disciples and say, you know, I hope this will help you in some small way as you face some difficulties in your life. Now, Jesus came and basically said, this changes everything. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go you therefore, right? Who you are in Christ, every good thing. There are so many good things. And by the way, you are, when you become a Christian, the Bible says you're in Christ. And by the way, if you are not impressed with that, it's because you have not seen him lately. You look a lot better in Christ than you do without Christ. But you've got to acknowledge every good thing. It's the Amplified that translation that says to promote full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in our identification with Christ Jesus. So you've got to have precise knowledge. Again, there's no ignorant faith. 
You cannot believe God for what you do not know or understand. Now, once again, the whole Bible is written about two people. What is their name? Adam. The whole Bible is written about just two people. Their name is Adam. All right. There is the first Adam lived in a garden, married a chick named Eve. Right. First Corinthians 15 says there is a last Adam. He is the Lord from heaven and we know him as Jesus. All right. Now, when God looks at humanity, he sees everyone connected to one of these two. You're either connected to the first Adam and to everything that he did and the curse that came on him, or you're connected to the last Adam, Jesus, and everything he did and the blessing that came upon him. But you're connected to one of the two. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone, that means you, is in Christ or in union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, to understand what this verse is saying, I want to go back to the beginning. And by the way, if you look at what Jesus did in his ministry, he kept on going back to the beginning. The, the Pharisees come and say, now, can we divorce our wives for just any reason? And Jesus said, now, in the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Right? And they said, well, can't we divorce because Moses permitted us to divorce? And Jesus said, in the beginning, it was not so. Jesus keeps on going back to the beginning, all right? Because that's where you find out God's original plan. Genesis 2, 17. God says to that first Adam, he says, now you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, blessing and calamity, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now they eat of the tree. And if you read, they, they lived for hundreds of years and it looks like, God, you blew it because they didn't surely die in the day that they ate thereof. But they did die the day they ate thereof, but they didn't die physically. There was a part of them on the inside that died. And it was the part of them that had a relationship with God. The part of them that was like God. In fact, before they sinned, the Bible says every day, God would come down and walk with them and talk with them. They fellowshiped. But then after they sinned, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the gardens, the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All of a sudden, they're afraid of God. They're hiding from God. They're blaming others. They're blaming each other for their, for their problems. The part of them that had fellowship with God, that was like God, that part of them, it died. It got cut off from them. And so they were different. They did, there was a part of them that died. It wasn't physical death, but it was a spiritual death. So in 1 John, 
chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, the person who's been born into God's family does not make a practice of sinning. Because now God's life, some translations say God's seed, is in him. So he can't keep sinning. For this new life or seed has been born into him and controls him as he's been born again. So what does this verse say? This verse is, well, there's an old song, Christian song, that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. The most miserable people on earth are not sinners. You say, why is that so true? Because they've got yuck, yuck on the inside and yuck, yuck on the outside. And it's just yuck, yuck, and it's just all agrees, you know, all right? But what this says is that when you become a Christian, God puts his seed his life or his nature down on the inside of you, right? And if you've got God's life on the inside, but you're living contrary to that on the outside, you are miserable. Trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. The most miserable Christ people are Christians that are not living like Christians. Right? It's saying that, that as a Christian, if you do something you should not do, that on the inside, you, there, there's something that's bothering you. You're, on the inside, your, your insides are going, this is not right. This is not who you are. This is not what you should be doing. Right. John 3.16 is the, the best known verse in the Bible. And we can use this verse to talk about this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, my translation says. Others say eternal life. So you're going to have everlasting life or eternal life. And when we read that, this is what we think. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to be a Christian. Jesus is going to be in my heart. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to live forever. Right. Now, here's the truth. Everybody lives forever. Right? Some people live forever in God's presence. Some people are going to live forever separated from God's presence. We can say it this way. Some people are going to live forever in heaven. Some people are going to live forever in hell. But they're all going to live for forever. And, and so what this verse is saying is not just you become a Christian and you go to heaven and live forever. Is that true? Yes, but that is not what the verse is saying. So let me, let me get a little help from a few scholars. Right? Let's take a look at the translator's New Testament. Now, if you go and learn the language of an indigenous group that's never had a part of the Bible, one of the key tools that, that you'll use, your, let's say your Wycliffe Bible translator, they'll give you a translator's New Testament, which will give you notes that'll help you translate difficult portions of Scripture. And this is what it says about eternal life or everlasting life. In, in the Greek, it's just one word, and it's a three-letter word, Z-O-E. Zoe or Zoe. How, how many of, you know, a lot of, a lot, quite a few people have named their little daughters Zoe. How many ever met a Zoe someplace, you know? It's the Greek word right here, all right? And again, in most of your translations that are common in English, it just says eternal life or everlasting life. Here's the note to the commentators, from, from the commentators to the translators. It says, in the New Testament, eternal life 
is that kind of life which is given to all true believers in Christ. Now listen, the word eternal draws attention to the quality of that life, not to its duration in a temporal sense. So when it says eternal life, it's not talking about how long it lasts. You ask me, how long does it last forever? But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about where it came from. It's talking about its quality. It came from the eternal realm, from the eternal one. It is the life of the eternal one. God puts his life, his nature, the Bible says it somewhat in translations, his seed inside you. And you become a new person or a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new on the inside. So it's not just talking about how long it lasts. It's talking about its quality. It's talking about where it came from, right? So God puts something down on the inside. That thing that Adam lost in the garden, God puts back inside you. He puts that nature, his seed in you. Thus, eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to the temporal conditions of earthly life. It's saying eternal life does not begin when you die. It starts instantly when God puts his life, his seed, his nature, his zoe down on the inside of you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, now listen to what this is saying. This is saying that you become the righteousness of God. You say to most Christians, are, are, are you righteous? And they say, no, no. You know, maybe someday I will be. I'm trying to be. I want to be. I hope I will be. But maybe, maybe someday, but I'm not. Right? But this says that God has made you to be the righteousness of God. That God took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to you and took your unrighteousness and put it on Jesus. Romans 1.16, for it, the gospel, is the power which emanates from God and saves all who believe in it. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. Now, boy, that will get your religious mind going. It reveals God's way of making men as righteous as himself. You say, how can that be? Well, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you whose righteousness? Not yours. Not Billy Graham's. Not Joyce Myers. He gives you his own. Right. How many of you have ever flown on a, on a commercial airliner? Most of you. You'll be able to relate, relate to this. You know, we, we fly quite a bit going to different places. We just got back from Australia. A number of times we've, we've gone to Korea. And uh, the church in Korea, they are just the most wonderful, wonderful people. Right? Downtown Seoul, Korea. Very, very prosperous. And uh, whenever we would go, the, the church over there would buy us tickets and they would buy us first class tickets. You know, we're used to flying economy. Right? But they would, they, they would get us first class tickets. Right? And if you've never been in first class, let me tell you about first class. All right? I mean, first of all, you get to go in first. All right. You, you, you're, you're, you're the first one that goes in and you walk in. They know your name. 
Mr. Vanderclock, we're so glad to have you with us today. Hey, could I take that bag? Can, can I put that up there for you? Say, Mr. Vanderclock, would you like anything to drink before we begin? Would you like some coffee, some orange juice, or any other beverage at all? Everything is complimentary. You know, when it's time to serve a meal, they come out, they, they, they've got that little thing over their arm, you know. Sir, Mr. Vanderclock, what would you like to eat today? We have steak, we have chicken, we have fish. Uh, it, you know, which would you prefer? Whatever you'd like. But then if you fly economy class, all right, you get there, they just kind of point and grunt. Uh, you show me your teeth. Uh, 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 you know, they, they don't know who you are. They don't care. They, it, it seems like they're mad that you're there. Right? You know, when it comes time for some food, oh, oh, yeah, they throw you peanuts. They're not even salted. Just kind of here, 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 have some peanuts, you know. Now, they, they, they will not, they, they pull a curtain so you cannot even see first class. They do not even want you to look up there. You know, you, you scrungy economy class person, all right. You should not even look up into first class. So, so we, we were just going to Australia just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and and there is the, there's the first class cabin up there, you know, they got, there's 20 people in, in two bathrooms and the curtain and their things all lay out into big beds and, you know, it's awesome. All right. And then we're in the back in economy class. There's like 120 of us in two bathrooms and one is broke. <laughs> and, and you think they would let us go to first class and use one of those up there? No, no. Don't you economy class person, don't you even think of going up to first class and using the bathroom in first class? No, you economy person, stay where you are. Listen, God does not have first class righteousness and economy class righteousness. He's just got one class. Right? I think it's better than first class. It's like pri flying private. Right? It is the best. He takes his very own righteousness and gives it as a gift to you. Romans 5, 17 calls it the gift of righteousness. Not what you've earned, not what you deserve. Right? In fact, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you're a Christian and God forbid that your heart stopped beating and the Bible tells us that you'll be carried by angels faster than the speed of light and you will be taken, listen, not to some place where you will suffer for thousands of years to get purified and made right to pay for your sins and then go to heaven. But instantly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You'll go into his presence and with the same righteousness that you have right now, you will live in his presence forever and ever and ever. Right? Again, Romans 5, 17, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's not by works. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to earn eternal life? So that's what we want to do. We want to earn it. We want to be good. We want to do something. We want to not do something. Right? Romans 3, 20. Therefore, by the deeds or the works of the law, no flesh or no person will be justified in his sight or made right in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this says that no person has ever obeyed a bunch of rules and regulations so well 
so perfectly that they would be right with God by it. They earn, no one has ever earned their salvation by not doing certain things. In fact, listen to this. Why was the law given? This is Galatians 3.19. It was given to show people how guilty they are. The law was not given so you could obey it and be perfect and be made right with God. The law was given so you'd know you need a Savior. That's what the law is for. Not to make you right with God, but so that you would know that you could not be right with God. It's again, it's in 2 Corinthians 5.19, where it says, For God was in Christ, or working in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, God was working in Christ. But he wasn't working on Christ. He was working on you. See, because just like you used to be connected to the first Adam and his guilt and his curse, now you're connected to the last Adam. You are now in Christ, in him, in whom, in the beloved. And all that he did goes on your account. And the blessing that came on him comes on you. Now, let's close with Colossians chapter 2. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So he's forgiven you all of your trespasses, all of your sins. Listen, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now it says, he's taken all these handwritings and these requirements that was against us. What's that talking about? Well, at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and talks with God. He's there for 40 days. And when Moses comes down, the Bible says he's got these tablets and that God has written on those tablets. You say, what's there, the Ten Commandments? Yep, they're there. God wrote them out. But, but actually, there's more than, than ten. You, you, you probably know this, but there are actually 613 commandments, right? requirements. Now, how many of you think you've at least broken one? It's against you. It's contrary to you. Because if you just break one part of the law... You've broken the whole law. It's like breaking a window. You say, I just broke the corner. Yeah, but the whole window's broke now. The whole thing needs to be replaced. So when it's talking about all the handwriting that was against you, it's talking about all of those things Moses brought down, the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch more. And you and I have broken them. And it's against us. It's contrary to us. But what God did, it says he nailed it to the cross. Now, if you had been at Calvary, you can read this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is crucified. There's two thieves. And on top of Jesus' cross, Pilate wrote, King of the Jews. That was what he was being crucified for, for being the King of the Jews. But if you could have looked into the spirit realm, you'd have seen something different. If, if God were to open your eyes right now and you could see into the spiritual realm, you would see something very different. You would see this place full, full of angels right now. You remember the, the wedding ceremony 
Some of you will remember. I still use this one. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together in the presence of God, his holy, his holy angels in this congregation to join in holy matrimony, this woman and this man. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? In the presence of God and his holy angels. You know, we tend to forget that, there's, that this place is full of angels, that you actually, according to Jesus, have a personal angel, a guardian angel. We tend to forget it, but if God would open our eyes and we could see into the spirit realm, at the cross, God reached down and God took a list. You say, what was on that list? The Ten Commandments and all 613 of them. Everything that you'd need to do to be righteous, every law that you could break, God had it written down. And he nailed it to the cross and he said, Jesus is dying and he is paying the penalty for every person who ever broke any of these laws or requirements. Lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, anger, drug, alcohol abuse, hate, unforgiveness, sexual sin, murder, abortion, lust, immorality. You, you name the sin. And it was on a list that God nailed to a cross. And Jesus died and paid for that sin. Jesus on the cross took your unrighteousness, all the things that you blew, that you mistakes you made, sins that you committed, and he paid. But God took his righteousness and gave it to you. You know, if you're watching today, but you're not in Christ, you don't know for sure you're forgiven. You don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven. And you say, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in Christ. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Just bow your head. Pray this prayer from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I am forgiven, that my past is gone, that I am your child on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart, you are forgiven and right with God. You're really what the Bible calls a new creature in Christ. And I want to help you keep growing spiritually. And I have a book that I've written that I want to send you free of charge. It's full of bullet points to help you on your spiritual journey. All that you need to do is contact us. We will send it to you free of charge. All the information is right there on your screen. And if this program is blessing you spiritually, would you become a partner with me? Would you please send a financial gift to help us as we're taking the gospel to the nations of the world? Thank you and God bless you. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, If any two of you agree concerning a matter on earth, it shall be done for you. We believe that God acts powerfully when we come to him in prayer. Please call now to let us know of your prayer requests so we can begin praying for you.
Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.